Oral questions by members. Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the NDP is planning on one of the largest tax increases on new homes in a generation. BC already has the highest tax for homes than anywhere else in this country. In Vancouver, the cost of taxes, provincial taxes on homes, represent about $644,000 in the cost of any new home being built. But Metro Vancouver's recent decision to introduce a new Metro Vancouver Regional Development Cost Charge will nearly triple the fees on new homes and only make the existing problem worse. And I have always said in this House, I keep trying to educate the members opposite, that if you want more affordable housing, you have to make it less expensive. So I'll, I'll try again. I'll try again because the premiers repeatedly refused to ask a pretty simple question, to answer a simple question. So will the premier step up and block Metro Vancouver's unjust tax increase of up to $24,000 for every new home being built, yes or no? Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, the trend in this place continues. We never really know where the Leader of the Opposition stands on any issues. Every single day there's a new issue, every single day there's a new position. Uh, in, this case, in this case, it's rare that it's not dictated by the BC Conservatives, Honourable Speaker. Um, every single housing initiative, Honourable Speaker, that we've brought forward, they've opposed. We said, let's bring back more housing uh, with the speculation and vacancy tax. We brought close to 20,000 units back. Opposed. We said, let's build more housing on our residential land. Let's allow home builders, let's allow people who own properties to be able to build three units on smaller lots, four on larger lots. Opposed. Let's said, we said, let's reform the process so that if a community plan is in place, it doesn't need to go through another lengthy hearing. They oppose. Not only that, Honourable Speaker, oppose the $1 billion for infrastructure to local communities, oppose the $500 million to TransLink, oppose the $250 million for uh, Iona wastewater facility. What does this Leader of the Opposition believe in? He says tax cuts for developers. That's the only thing he's offered this House, Honourable Speaker. I appreciate our speaker. His position has changed so much, so often. We have a year to the next election. I expect it to change many times till then. Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Always good to get tips from somebody who has absolutely zero experience in the home building sector. Um, but I'll try this, Mr. Speaker. Actually, what we're opposed to are the terrible results that you've gotten after seven years of being in government. Just to remind, Through the just chair. to remind the Minister of Housing, we now have, after seven years of your government, the most unaffordable real estate, not just in Canada, no, that's not a good enough goal for you, in North America. That's your record here Through in the chair. Through the we chair, member. We now have the highest, Mr. Speaker, the highest average rents in the entire country after seven years of NDP government, Mr. Speaker. So I am not going to take any lessons from this individual or that government, I can assure you, but I can tell you this, that there are groups that are warning that the taxes the Premier is endorsing will add millions to the cost of new homes, cause serious delays, years in fact, 
as we hear from municipalities that all these uh, policies that they're rushing in in a mad panic in their last year to try and pretend that they're doing something on housing are creating massive confusion uh, in the residential housing market. These unexpected delays and indecisions and lack of understanding and clarity are going to cost families lots more as they are delayed in getting projects through the housing uh, approval system. So instead of making housing less expensive, Mr. Speaker, the Premier is doubling and tripling down on new taxes that will only end up being paid by the people that one day hope to put a key in their front door and actually own a home in this province. So once again, will the Premier, through the Minister, make a commitment to stop these punishing charges that are stalling projects, jacking up prices and pushing the home, the dream of home ownership for British Columbians farther and farther away. Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. Um, perhaps uh, the member hasn't been paying attention. People across Canada, across North America are applauding our government for the actions that oh. we've been taking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The, the new yes. member, 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 member. Minister. Honourable I appreciate that they have a position today, and I also appreciate that position may change tomorrow, and it may change the next day, it may change closer to the election, because we've seen that trend with everything, Honourable Speaker. Uh, the Leader of the Opposition, uh, he was in favour of us taking action for the Surrey police transition until the BC Conservatives decided they were against it. Then they switched their position. They voted in favour of harm reduction measures, Honourable Speaker, until the BC Conservatives said we're against it. Then they changed their positions, Honourable Speaker. Members. Safe consumption sites, Honourable Speaker, the same thing. Members. members, 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 no side commentary, please. Members. Minister has the floor. Fifteen years telling us how great the carbon tax is, Honourable Speaker. Fifteen years telling us. Then the BC Conservatives come out and say we're against it, and then all of a sudden he's against it, Honourable Speaker. Let me tell you one thing. The, the member from, um, from uh, Peace River South, when the BC Conservatives were raising this issue uh, four years ago, you know, you know what the member said? He said, reducing the carbon tax is a valid thing to say. But can you explain what services you're going to cut to make up for the $5 billion shortfall? Can the BC Conservatives plan a deficit budget? They have to answer these questions now, Honourable Speaker. Member for Abbotsford West. Thanks, uh, Mr. Speaker. My, uh, my question is for the Attorney General, and it relates to the uh, police investigation that we now know is taking place into the activities of the Drug Users Liberation Front. That's uh, an investigation, of course, that uh, relates to uh, allegations of illegal drug trafficking, uh, tracing significant amounts of public dollars uh, used to acquire and distribute cocaine, heroin, uh, methamphetamines. Uh, the investigation stems from approvals, funding approvals made by at least three ministers in the government. Um, I'm going to come back to the absurdity of the comments we've heard about when the government uh, learned or purported to learn about this. Come back to that in a moment. My, my concern right now is given the kinds of comments we have heard from members of the government uh, sympathetic to the activities of the Drug Users Liberation 
front. Um, the direct involvement of members of the government. Uh, will the Attorney General agree that when the report to Crown Counsel that will emerge from this police investigation is presented to a prosecutor for consideration of charges, it cannot possibly be a prosecutor within the government and within the Attorney General's ministry. Will the Attorney General confirm that a special prosecutor has been appointed? And if not, why not? Attorney General. Uh, thanks for the question, Mr. Speaker. I'm not going to comment here in the House on any form of investigation that the police are doing, and the member knows that that's not an appropriate forum for this conversation. But what I will say is that I find it really troubling that the opposition is politicizing an issue that's costing 13,000 people to die in British Columbia to this date. The opioid crisis is hitting communities across this province that they would use this issue to make cheap political shots. Members, 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 calm down, calm down. Members, calm down, calm down. Member supplemental. Thanks, Honorable Chair. I don't know that I have ever heard an Attorney General make the observation that it is inappropriate for an official opposition to pose questions about criminal activity in the province of British Columbia. You know, we, we are confronted by the absurdity of uh, members of the government saying, oh, we only learned about this uh, uh, last month. Well, the, the attorney was, was the chair of a committee that over a year ago heard evidence, quote, Dolph is buying drugs from the dark web, having them checked, boxing them up, and letting people have them. I mean, it's absurd what the government is trying to peddle in terms of what it knew and when. But my question, again, to the attorney, the Office of Special Prosecutor was created specifically for the purpose that the public could have the confidence that in circumstances where there might be a reasonable perception of bias, investigations involving people within government, involving politicians, that someone would come from outside of the ministry, and it has happened frequently, to be appointed to make a decision around charge approvals. Again, my question to the attorney, has a special prosecutor been appointed in this case? And if not, why not? Attorney General. Mr. Speaker, I did chair the Select Committee, Standing Committee on Health. It was a committee that was called upon by the member for Prince George Valmont for the leader of the third party, because thousands of people in this province are dying by the toxic drug supply. Mr. Speaker, we took our job seriously. I'm proud of the work that we did across parties. Very rarely is there a space in this building where we work across party lines to come up with resolutions. Every member including the member from Surrey-White Rock, including the member from Priest River North, showed up to that committee open-minded, understanding what people are experiencing and feeling in this province, and people on the front line that are, were giving us their thoughts about what they, what, they, what they thought the government should do to address this crisis. Mr. Speaker, we gave recommendations to that government. 13,000 people have died in this province. Member. 
from this issue. And again, I find it shameful that they're using the work of that committee for two political points. Member, member for Surrey South. Please be careful in your comments. Member for for West uh, Supplemental. I actually don't doubt that members of the committee uh, took their duties responsibly, took them seriously. Um, I am certain of it. I am certain of it. I'm asking the Attorney General to take her responsibility today seriously, to discharge her responsibility today as Attorney General. Crown Council Act empowers her in circumstances where it is abundantly clear that there might be reasonably a perception of bias to ensure that a special prosecutor is appointed. Not only does she avoid answering that basic fundamental question, she demeans it by suggesting it is somehow inappropriate. Mr. Speaker, third time, I'll give her the chance. Has the special prosecutor been appointed to oversee the charge approval process in this matter? And if not, why not? Attorney General. Um, Mr. Speaker, I will comment again that I'm not going to speak in this House about criminal proceedings or investigations that are happening, and the member knows that this is not the forum for that. But I will say again, I find it troubling that when we are doing work in this House that is listening to British Columbians and understanding their perspectives to solve very important issues that are happening in this province, that side wants to politicize it. That side wants to make it about very cheap political shots instead of saving lives in this province. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. House Leader of the Third Party. Mr. Speaker, as a result of a BC Supreme Court decision, the Ministry of Children and Family Development has a policy for new mothers uh, who have had their children removed and taken into care to accommodate uh, the breastfeeding of those babies. This is a compassionate policy that allows a mother and a newborn child to bond. Essential first moments that can be never recovered if they are stolen from the mother and their baby. The minister has continued to repeat uh, her commitment uh, to keeping Indigenous mothers, children and family to get families together. And this week, I read yet another story from uh, the unrelenting Indigenous News reporter Anna McKenzie about a child, two days old, taken from her mother, Chelsea Woodward, in Surrey and sent to a home in Langley. The mother does not have a vehicle. The breastfeeding is not being accommodated. Even with a remarkable network of individuals and organizations mobilizing for, child, uh, for Chelsea and her child, more of the same cruel punishment from this minister for this mother and her child. Mr. Speaker, to the Child Development Minister, when is this minister going to demonstrate that she actually cares about the well-being of Indigenous mothers and their newborn babies? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you so much to the member for the question. Um, we know that it's absolutely vital for babies to be able to be breastfed wherever possible. Um, and the Ministry makes every effort to make sure that that is accommodated. We know that that benefits the attachment and the bonding between the infant and the mother, and uh, every effort is made to make sure that that can be accommodated. Honourable Speaker, a lot of changes have been made in the Ministry in order to make sure that Indigenous um, 
families are kept together wherever that is possible and that um, steps are taken to make sure that that um, close relationship and bonding and that sense of belonging is nurtured because we know, Honourable Speaker, that that leads to the best outcomes for children and families. Member Supplemental. Whenever possible. Human rights, whenever possible for this minister, honestly, whenever possible. That's not what the court said. The court didn't say whenever possible. That's what the minister is saying. Mr. Speaker, I've heard how exasperated frontline MCFD workers are with their leadership, expressing they're tired and they're frustrated. This ministry needs new leadership. This ministry spends $135,000 per child per year on those children in care. Apparently not enough cash for this mother to get a ride to her child so they can experience what the, what the courts say is a human right, an unbreakable bond between the mother and their baby. This BCNDP minister, this premier, the backbench, like the last, is propping up a child welfare system that has destroyed families, Mr. Speaker. Yet somehow, even with the blinding spotlight on this minister, her deputy minister, the ministry, they continue to deliver those stories to question period. It feels like they actually revel in this attention, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, through you to the minister responsible for the well-being of the most vulnerable children and families in this province, when is she going to do the honourable thing, fire her deputy minister, and then step down? Minister. Oh, thank you, honourable speaker. And, um, I I absolutely understand the passion and uh, the question from the member. We know that for far too long, this ministry and the colonial system of government has been over-intrusive in the lives of Indigenous children and youth and families and has caused harm and intergenerational trauma. Since 2017, our government has been committed to addressing the over-representation of Indigenous children and youth in care. Um, we know that that leads to poorer outcomes. And so we have changed legislation, we have changed policy, we have invested in the budget of this ministry. So last year, unanimously in this chamber, we passed historic legislation to support indigenous communities exercising their inherent jurisdiction over services for children, youth and families. We're investing in young people transitioning into adulthood and leaving the government care system. We have harmonized rates so that kids who are able to stay with close family or with community are able to be supported the same way as kids coming into foster care, preventing more kids coming into foster care. And we actually now have the lowest number of kids in care in over 30 years and indigenous kids in care in over 20 years. I know there's a Thank lot you. more work to do and we're absolutely committed and I am driven to making sure that we make those improvements. Leader of the Fourth Party. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today in the gallery with the healthcare workers who are here, they represent the backbone of our healthcare system. They have spent decades serving patients, serving their community, caring for the people in their communities. Many of these healthcare professionals have taken time away from serving their patients to be here today because they feel it is that important. They're concerned about healthcare. They're concerned about the fact 
of their shortages in staffing. They're concerned about the ER closures. They're concerned, quite frankly, about the loss of freedom in healthcare. And they're concerned about the medical tyranny that this government is putting on the control of health care in this province. So the question, Mr. Speaker, that I'm proud to be asking here today on behalf of thousands of health care workers across this province, and as well as on behalf of the members that are here present today on the Canadian Society for the Science and Ethics in Medicine, to the Premier, will you acknowledge the feedback from thousands of health care workers from across this province who are asking you to pause on the Health Professions and Occupations Act and return to the drawing board, or do you intend to continue down this path of medical tyranny? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Uh, the Health Professions and Occupations Act was passed by the Legislature. Um, Honourable Speaker, it was the result of years of consultation. First consultation leading to the Caton Report, then unprecedented consultation with all parties in the Legislature, then unprecedented consultation with Indigenous people. The vast majority of that consultation took place with health professionals. It had record hours of debate in this legislature, 47 hours of debate. And as the member will know, it was supported at second reading by the Conservative Party's House Leader, who spoke in favor of it in the debate, including the important issues of transparency, which, which, uh, which it provides for patients. We are, we are implementing the Health Professions and Occupations Act, and we will continue to do so. Leader of the Fourth Party Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And it is sad the way this minister portrays this act and what it is doing in terms of health care in this province. And I want to ask, you know, today at noon, we will have health care professionals out on the back steps of the legislature. <clears throat> the Conservative Party will be out joining them to talk about this issue and to talk about health care in this province. And I invite all members come out and to hear their words, to hear what they will be presenting. Because they believe passionately in this and they disagree with this minister, particularly in this heavy-handed and tone-deaf approach as we're even hearing here in the answer here today. So my question, quite frankly, Mr. Speaker, to the Premier is, during the government's so-called consultation process that the minister just outlined, why were so many non-disclosure agreements signed with British Columbians health care boards? Minister. Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, the, um, uh, the Health Professions and Occupations Act was a result of unprecedented consultation, including uh, and very significantly consultation um, with opposition parties, Honourable Speaker, who were involved in its development, Honourable Speaker. The legislature is responsible for the law, but everyone was involved in its development. One of the really important principles that all members, the member uh, uh, for Cowichan, the leader of the third party, the member for Kelowna Lake Country, who represented their caucuses in those discussions, was the importance also in a time when we've had the In Plain Sight report of consulting with Indigenous people. So not only was there unprecedented consultation uh, with the broader community, with health professionals, with opposition parties, and a very significant debate in the legislature, Honourable Speaker, but there was significant consultation with Indigenous people that is reflected in this Act. I think it's an extraordinary thing. The member uh, asks about noon today. At noon today, I'll be with ambulance paramedics 
We have 1,000 more full-time ambulance paramedics in BC than we had in 2017. We'll be expanding services, including in the members' riding this afternoon, Honourable Speaker, to ensure that people in British Columbia, especially in rural communities, get support for health professionals. We have added more nurses, more doctors, than all the other jurisdictions in Canada in the last uh, several years, Honourable Speaker. In the last Canadian Institute for Health Information report, we added 6.7% more nurses. They went down in Alberta, Honourable Speaker, because we, Honourable Speaker, in BC, Honourable Speaker, support our health professionals, support science, and support our provincial health officer. Member for Prince George Wilmont. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. And I well remember the 47 hours of debate where this side of the House stood up and opposed the bill. We did it in appropriate ways. We voted against it. I would point out that the member who just got up and spoke did not speak at all to the bill when it was in the legislature. So it's important to set the record straight. For 17 months, we have been calling for an all-hands-on-deck approach, including the return of unvaccinated healthcare workers, to align with the rest of North America in our province. And yet, this NDP government stubbornly refuses and continues to fail in addressing a worsening healthcare crisis. I'll bring this situation to the minister's attention, and he knows well that the doctors at Vernon Jubilee Hospital have actually issued a public warning, and I will quote, with the planned closure of Vernon's last remaining walk-in clinic, 120 patients per day will now be left with limited options for their primary and urgent care needs, end quote. How on earth can the Premier or this minister possibly defend the NDP's new normal, which includes having no walk-in clinics in Vernon? Minister of Health. Well, uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And I, I believe, um, I believe, and I, I say this respectfully, the minister was, the member was mistaken. Uh, all members of this legislature voted for Bill 36 at second reading in a standing vote. And I don't, I don't say that to be critical. I just say that uh, so that we all understand the record. Equally, equally, Honourable Speaker, uh, equally, um, the um, official opposition supported the requirement uh, for vaccination. Uh, the leader of the opposition clearly stated his support for that initiative. Members, uh, members of this House will note that we were the only jurisdiction to implement that. It was called for by the opposition before we did so, and we were the only jurisdiction to succeed in doing it. Others attempted to. We did it because of the priority we give and the priority we've given to protect vulnerable people in our province. With respect to Vernon, we continue to work with the walking clinic to make, uh, to make a significant and series of offers to that clinic of support. In addition to that, we added an urgent and primary care centre in Vernon, which has seen 77,000 visits since opening. Honourable Speaker, we, are, we also have in Vernon a primary care network, and we'll have more opportunity to talk to that on the Thank next you. supplementary. Member Supplemental. Well, thank you very much. And the minister completely ignores the fact that uh, under our watch, we actually significantly expanded healthcare capacity, including Polson Tower in Vernon. And under this minister's watch, what we're seeing is him overseeing the closure of clinics and shrinking capacity. And what, in what has become absolutely routine for this minister, yet another group of emergency room doctors have sent a letter 
They have taken the extraordinary step of having the courage to speak up and send letters to this government. They released a public letter warning that the ER cannot, cannot manage the overflow of 120 additional patients every single day once the walk-in clinic shuts its doors. Dr. Chris Cunningham, who runs the soon-to-close Sterling Walk-In Clinic, said this week he has been met with total silence from IHA and the Ministry of Health since September. And even worse, despite appealing to the NDP uh, MLA from Vernon Monashie this midsummer, the doctor's calls have gone unanswered, and I quote, I have not heard from her since. So much for being in dialogue and trying to solve the problem. How can the minister, day after day, stand in this chamber and defend the NDP's new normal of a health care crisis which is actually seeing patients finding worse outcomes every single day in this province? Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, um, to correct the record again, Honourable Speaker, in contact meeting with Dr. Cunningham September 24th, Honourable Speaker. Most recent meeting with doctors at the clinic, November the 3rd, Honourable Speaker. As part of the Ministry's effort to keep the clinic open, this is the answer to the question, Honourable Speaker and Honourable Member, and I'm happy to do so. Uh, we have already offered bridge stabilization funding that was accepted in February and in August for this clinic of a total of $76,000. In addition, the following solutions were outlined and rejected. The longitudinal payment model with a grace period until March 31st, 2024, offered and rejected. Ministry of Health walk-in clinic stabilization contract in March 31st, 2024, offered and rejected. The Shushwap North Okanagan Primary Care Network, which was created by this government, Honourable Speaker. Remember in 2009, they were promised by a previous Minister of Health Primary Care Networks. They delivered none. And Honourable Speaker, the Shushwap North Okanagan Primary Care Network uh, offered a same-day access contract and extended hours. Not us. Something led by the Division of Family Practice with Vernon Physicians. Honourable Speaker, if we want to talk about that. Offered and rejected. The stabilization offer is still on the table, Honourable Speaker, and we are going to continue to work to expand health care services for people in Vernon. And I'm telling you, the person who is advocating most for that is the member for Vernon Monashim. Member Farshuswap. Honourable Speaker, the reality is, is that there is a severe health care shortage. Nurses are stressed out, burnt out, unfilled shifts. We have emergency rooms being closed. Mental disorder claims for the health care sector are 500 per cent. 120 patients a day will be without any options. In July, a Vernon walk-in clinic was where my constituent first heard the chilling words, invasive stage 2 breast cancer. Post-operative care has also been an absolute nightmare, a 17-week wait for radiation therapy. Cancer is a disease that cannot wait, but my constituents' critical radiation therapy is delayed well beyond the recommended life-saving four-week window. Can the Premier possibly defend this NDP new normal of a total lack of access to basic health care in our province? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for his question, his question. And the member knows when people bring matters to my attention, I always respond to those issues and always respond to individual issues that are brought 
by members of the opposition because of my respect for that process. And obviously, uh, Honourable Speaker, with respect to Vernon, we have made significant investments in primary care in Vernon. There wasn't an urgent and primary care centre before. There is now. 76,000 visits. It's one of the most popular urgent and primary care centres in all of British Columbia, Honourable Speaker. There's a primary care network, something the previous government failed to deliver, failed to deliver for the people of Vernon. They promised it and they delivered zero, Honourable Speaker. And with respect to uh, what we've done in Vernon, the South North the, the Shuswap North Okanagan Primary Care Network, Honourable Speaker, has received approval for an, average, for an operating budget of $12.8 million for 75 FTEs, clinical resources. Primary care networks across BC have added 1,600 health care workers to our province. We're going to continue to invest in a public health care system that responds to the needs of people and support our health care workers. And I, Honourable Speaker, met with all of those doctors in Vernon at the Vernon Jubilee Hospital when I was there in the summer, and I'm going to continue to work with them to find solutions to all of the issues for the people of Vernon and everywhere else. The bell and the question period.